0: Ugh, another pointless video call where nothing gets done. I think you're on mute, David. Uh, uh, Sorry, what did I miss? IT just approved Miro for the whole company. Miro? That's the... Online whiteboard. For team collaboration. We can make these long video meetings so much shorter with Miro boards. We can share ideas, feedback, and updates on them whenever. Actually see what we're talking about. It's all online. Miro will make her flexible work setup so much easier, with one virtual space for our brainstorms, projects, presentations. Oh, that sounds kind of amazing.
1: So I don't need to wake up for 6 a.m. calls with the London office anymore.
0: Now you're getting it. Don't let time
1: zones get in the way of your team working well together. See why 99% of the
0: Fortune 100 trust Miro to get good work done from anywhere. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com.
2: Everyone, this is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Geek Geek Buddies. (gasps)
0: Hey!
2: Sorry for that one commentator on our uh, spoiler review for Justice League. We are not stopping this stupid intro. We're going to do it every time. So kiss it. Uh, I'm excited uh, to be back with you two uh, uh, gentlemen here and we're going to talk about so many things going on in the world of entertainment from DC to Marvel to Godzilla versus Kong to National Treasure to some new trailers to all kinds of stuff we're going to get into all that here. There's a lot. There's so much to cover. You can tell that things are ramping up in terms of production and film and on TV and what have you. So we're going to cover it all as we go along this year in 2021. I am one of your hosts. I'm the outlaw John Rocha, joined as always by this gentleman in the middle here. I am Michael Vogel, writer and producer of animated TV shows
3: and movies.
1: And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor. Where you may have seen me on The Goldbergs, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and House a long uh, time ago.
2: Uh, and I, uh, before we go any further, uh, Shannon, let's go back to you. George Segal. George Segal died yesterday, sadly passed away, 87 years old. You've worked on The Goldbergs. He was known for being on The Goldbergs. Any interaction with him at all, or any, any thoughts or memories as you, uh, uh, you know, more in the passing of a great talent?
1: Well, I did. I did two episodes. I did one in the most recent season, um, and one in the first season. And I saw him at the first season. We didn't have any interaction, mm-hmm. but um, just from what everyone, especially in that the episode for the first season, it was the show was doing well. Everyone was very excited, and um, yeah, people spoke very highly of him. I didn't have any personal interaction with him, but it seemed like everyone really, really liked him.
2: Yeah. All right. Any thoughts on uh, him overall, Michael, as a uh, as a performer, as a talent? Any memories of George Siegel? I mean, he was just a great talent. He was a great actor. I thought, uh, always funny, always good.
3: Uh, One of those actors that really just had, like, a career that was really life-spanning. Like, for me, I I think of him as just an older actor. Like, I, I, you know, I think he's someone who I appreciated uh, in the later years of his career, not the earlier years, but uh, just shows the breadth
2: of what he did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I grew up on his stuff in the 70s. And then, of course, in the '80s, we transitioned into doing more of the comedy stuff. And then, of course, just shoot me for a while, which I really enjoyed yep. that sitcom. And then, of course, him ending up being he was like everyone's father uh, randomly on depending what sitcom you were watching. And then eventually, the Goldbergs, where he was playing the granddad. So. Great to see uh, all the work he was able to do. And you're right, Mike. He's just one of these people that somehow kept enduring decade to decade because of his talent, because people enjoyed working with him. And so, but 87, that's a good long life. So uh, a sad passing for sure, but also left an incredible legacy on so many fronts. So uh, our thoughts and prayers to his family.
1: Uh, yeah, if, and- if, if yeah, if anyone follows any of the Goldbergs cast or the creator, um, they, they've they put out some very, some very touching tributes to him. Oh. Ah, there you go as they should that's fantastic
2: uh all right we're gonna get into uh things here for those of you who are new thank you so much for taking the chance on the geek buddies for those you're returning thank you for staying on the geek buddies train we appreciate it madly and if you haven't watched our justice league spoiler review it is up for you all to watch this thing three hours and 18 minutes of goodness with our guest mike kanowski also episode one of falcon and winter soldier that spoiler review is up for people to consume as well. And it's also available on our podcast feed. Can't encourage you all enough. Please go and subscribe to our podcast feed. Go and listen to our podcast. Just type in The Geek Buddies and you'll see. You don't have to look at our pretty faces. You can just listen to us in your ears while you're working out, mowing the grass, playing PS5, whatever you're doing. You can do that with us. All right. Uh, the way this thing works, the show is each of us brings up a geek news item. We discuss it amongst ourselves. Take a break and talk about our main uh, topic. And today's main topic will be Ann Sarnoff's interview and what it means for D.C., all the D.C. news that has broken in the last few days as well. We're going to talk about that with, uh, at a main topic later on in the show. But what do we got first here, Mr. Vogel? All right. Well, first, uh, we finally happened. We've all been
3: waiting for it in the in the in the battle of chicken between Marvel Studios and coronavirus. Hey-oh. Marvel Studios has blinked, and Black Widow will be coming to Disney Plus. Uh, big big announcements on just the release schedule and dates of not just Black Widow but a lot of a lot of things. Uh, Let's see, uh, Black Widow uh, date got pushed back, Mm -hmm. so it will now be on July 9th instead of May 7th. And like Mulan, uh, and like, uh, what is it that just came out? Raya and the The Last Last Dragon. Dragon, yeah. Uh, You will be able to buy it with your premiere access on Disney Plus and watch it at home, or go see it in theaters. Uh, Cruella also coming out on Disney Plus and the same date scheduled as May 28th. Mm -hmm. Uh, Disney's Luca is not going to play in theaters now and will be launching exclusively on Disney Plus for no additional cost. So that is just going to come out. Uh, So big news. And so that means that uh, for Marvel, they also pushed Shang-Chi back. So now the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that portion of Phase 4, is now going to be July 9th. Black Widow on Disney Plus and in theaters. Uh, September 3rd, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, currently just in theaters. Mm -hmm. November 5th, The Eternals. And December 17th, Spider-Man No Way Home. That gets us through the year and sets us up for March 25th, 2022, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And May 6th, 2022, Thor Love and Thunder. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, The bad news is we've got to wait a little bit longer for Black Widow. The good news is you can watch that one at home. And once these Marvel movies start coming out, they are going to be coming out at a pretty rapid clip. Uh, So... That is the big news. Uh, Cruella we can watch at home, just so you can uh, live out your Disney villain fantasies in your living room. Luca you can also check out at home exclusively, so we've got yet another Pixar movie following in the footsteps of Soul that we will be checking out at home. Um, But yeah, obviously Marvel's the big news. Obviously, we've been talking about this since it originally got pushed back a year. I think I was the one who was pretty insistent that they were not going to release it on Disney+, and here they are doing it. Uh, So what do you guys think about this? Uh, Why do you think they made this decision? I mean, you know, movie theaters in Los Angeles in the past week have started to open up to limited capacity, so they were going to hopefully be able to get people in theaters. Did they think they weren't going to get enough people? Uh, What are your guys' thoughts on this?
1: Well, I kind of feel like they... Like judging by you know our experience, because Vogel and Kalinowski and I went to the movies last week, um, they were selling away. out. Don't run <laughs> away! <laughs> oh, it was just the best time, John. Just the so best. so much fun. You get so much fun. Serious, it so. just it just felt like a complete evening. I can't oh, think of anything that could have been added that would what have made else? it better. <laughs> um but they they were selling out but they were also at 25% capacity mm-hmm. I believe it was. Now by the time like that's great if you're selling out the theaters but you're making a quarter of what you would have made. So by the time Black Widow would have come out at the beginning of May we're all presuming that if the numbers keep going in the right direction, people keep getting vaccinated, that the that it would open up more but it probably wouldn't be at that 100%. So I think the thinking right now is Come July, they could be at 100%. They may not. But to have the option of uh, of streaming it at home for on, on Disney Plus with that premiere access, that they're going to financially, that's going to justify that decision. Now, I know us, for instance, we're probably more excited than most folks to get back to the movies. Um, other folks... They might be happy with it. They might be happy, just like you know what. I would rather just watch this at home. I don't have to worry about wor- driving. I don't have to worry about uh, people interrupting interrupting the movie. Mm-hmm. And this is is this this is the second title, or no, this would be the third title that they've done for that premiere access after Milan and after Raya. And so mm-hmm. clearly, that model is working enough for them to keep repeating it. Right now, yep. now. You know, I mean, I would like to see Black Widow tomorrow. I would like to have seen it yesterday. But the fact that we're going to get a Marvel movie in July, in September, in November, in December, in March, in May. Like, I am, I, I'm really excited for for that Marvel frequency. It'll be interesting to see, since I, I believe Loki was supposed to come out June 11th, um, if they're going to bump that release down now. Because they right. kind of formulated this plan to where every weekend something new was coming out with marvel now we're going to have a little bit of a gap so the it'll be curious to see if there's an announcement in the coming days or if they're they're fine taking that little break
2: yeah or if something in loki connects up to black widow when it drops on july 9th maybe they'll coincide that as they did with mandalorian the first season of mandalorian and the rise of skywalker they may make some synergy, which is what executives like to say, Michael, no offense, synergy with these two projects who shall we shall see. But overall, uh, you know, I I said this a few months ago, I said, we're never going back to normal. And I don't think we ever are, to be honest with you. I don't think we're ever going to go back to 100% capacity. I don't because so many people, as I've said numerous times are not going to get vaccinated. I went to get uh, my eye appointment today, the, the lady helping me said straight up I'm not getting I'm not doing I'm not getting vaccinated I'm just going to take my chances and so there's a lot of people who feel this way the NBA Uh, A lot of the NFL, they're having a really hard time convincing their players to do it in mass. They're even offering benefits to these players to do it, and they're questioning it. Now we're hearing this stuff with AstraZeneca and some of the uh, repercussions of that or consequences of taking that, some of the side effects, and then you're getting – now the the Biden administration is so desperate, they're calling in Christian broadcasters to try to tell people to get vaccinated, so – These are the issues, and I don't know if people are going to feel comfortable going back to a theater that's 100% known. They could still catch this thing if in any way, shape, or form. And so I think that's an issue that will kind of bleed into the mind. But also, once we adapt to something, it's really hard to swing us back over to something again. And I think – a majority of the country and the world has kind of moved on to this ability to be able to have these things at home. Another part of this, and Michael, I'm sure you know this as well as being part of the studios here, but like, or when you were part of the, but like the international markets are really important. This is very important. And right now, outside of Asia, none of the European markets are back online the way they normally would be. Latin America is not back online the way. So I think they looked at this situation. Disney did and was like, we're not, we're just going to Profit here. We're going to push it to this point. We're going to do day and date. We got to get our slate going, and let's just. And we're having success for the most part with people watching our product at home. Our our subscriber base is exploding, past a hundred million subscribers the other day. So to me, this all makes a lot of sense business wise. And yeah, maybe they're not seeing the numbers or the amount of money, but that will eventually catch up, and they'll line up and start seeing it as more of a profit. Um, but we have to wait, which sucks. But. If you were in the NBA bubble last year, you got to see Black Widow. They showed it to all the NBA players last year. That's how long. That's how long this movie has been finished. Is they had it? Yeah, they showed it to all the as a as a as a thank you for like not getting COVID, staying. You know, it was a motivation. So the movie's been out for a while, and people know uh, what this movie is about. So you know. Um, i i did not is that well publicized i didn't know that oh yeah oh yeah it's very well you're not a sports guy you you know you're not even following the stuff but yes you can look it up right now while michael's talking because i'm going to swing this back over to michael you as an executive someone who served it what do you see the reasons for this what do you think the overall implications of this are going forward do you think we're ever going back to 100 capacity in theaters
3: I just like that you told Shannon to go do something else while I was talking, so thanks so much for your no, respect I in mean- my opinion.
0: Sorry,
1: I was reading. What were you guys saying? Uh, <laughs> you uh, there, to it there it is. There it is. <laughs> yes.
3: Uh, well, I think actually, I mean, one bit of the news that I think is a little bit more uh, optimistic than the picture that you were painting is the fact that they also pushed it back to July. Like, I think yeah, that true. if if everything... And, and I, I think a lot of what you're saying is 100% true. I think that they don't think that the theaters are going to be at full capacity. I think they want to hedge those bets. I think yeah. that people are getting used to this. Uh, you know, a lot of the other uh, Disney movies or slash Fox movies that are... Um, that are not like their big tentpole movies, uh, Deep Water, The King's Man, Free Guy, right, Death right. on the Nile, those are all still just slated to come out in theaters. So it's clearly like these big tentpole movies that they know they wanna make a big splash, make a big box office. But I think that part of the reason to push black widow back into july as well as release it on disney plus is that they do think that by july uh in certain markets theaters will be more open and i think that they would really love to have the story that i think warner brothers and christopher nolan wished that they had had which is black widow got people into theaters and i think that they probably think there's a better chance of having that story in july Than they do in May. Still understanding that I think you are right that things are never going to totally go back to the way they were. I think windows are going to shrink down. I think that we are going to see certain movies go day and date. I think we're going to see these other movies have a much smaller window and get to the streaming services faster. But I think that they also are kind of saying, yeah, we think we can get that story. So I think there's a little bit of both uh, in the Black Widow of it all. Uh, you know, Luca, I'm kind of surprised that they just decided to go straight to streaming. I I don't know if that speaks to their opinion of the movie. Uh, I don't know if that speaks to them just thinking that families are less likely to go straight into, to go back into theaters, that they know that that geek audience is like really jonesing for that communal experience, but for families, like, I don't know. It's a little bit interesting to me. Um, But to Shannon's point, you know, I mean, I think what is the most that we've had in one year up to this point is, like, three Marvel movies. Like, one in the winter, one kind of in the spring, and then one big summer movie. Like, we are... one Once this train does leave the station, we are on, like, the Marvel Express. Like, it is going to be, uh, you know, hard to talk about anything aside from Marvel because by the time the excitement on one movie has died down, we will be jumping right into the next Mm -hmm. one. So I think that... All the things that we've been wondering about, about how Wanda ties into Doctor Strange 2, how Doctor Strange in the multiverse ties into Spider-Man, like how jacked is Natalie Portman really going to be in Thor? (laughs) Like all the big questions we have are going to be answered. So as much as I am with Shannon, I wish we had seen Black Widow, you know, months ago. uh, I'm kind of excited that once it does start, we just don't have to wait on anything.
2: Yeah. Look, we're going to be reviewing all that stuff so we can't we're even more excited that we're going to get to talk about all this stuff once it starts rolling for sure. Um, Cruella having to wait till May 28th. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed by that as well. I really enjoyed the trailers that were dropped for it. So the fact we have to wait a little bit longer, it's not that far away, I guess. March is already steaming out of here into April and May. So, I mean, it, it'll be here before we know it, but still... It would have been nice to get a, a get early looks at that one. We'll see how that goes. I don't think the NBA got to see that early, that's for sure. So it'd be fun. Um, all right, uh, we'll see, but we'll keep we'll keep tabs on all this. What do you all think? Let us know down in there in the comments section below. What's our uh, What's our next thing? Who's up next? That would be you. Oh, I guess I'm up next. All right. Well, <laughs> this this just broke this morning. Really happy to report this national. This is coming from Deadline, uh, National Treasure, the TV series is a go at disney plus it has been green-lighted there had been rumors that they were uh, kicking this around exploring it getting writers blah, blah, blah. there had been all kinds of rumors now it is a go and the de- the headline reads they are going with a latina lead which i'm super happy about and mira nair will be directing this particular series it's a 10 episode series, national treasure no word yet on whether um, Nicolas Cage will be a part of this thing. Jerry Bruckheimer is producing it. The original writers, Marianne and Cormac Wiberly, uh, they are, they are reimagining this. And for those who don't know, Mira Nair, she directed Vanity Fair, that Reese Witherspoon period piece, and explores the timely issues of identity, community, community historical authorship, and patriotism, told from the point of view of Jess Morales, a 20-year-old dreamer for those you're politically inclined those are the daca uh, uh, people who with her diverse group of friends sets off on the adventure of a lifetime to uncover her mysterious family history and recover lost treasure she has taken the torch from benjamin gates the national treasurer's film protagonist played by Nicolas Cage. So, uh, you know, I, I look at this and I'm incredibly excited about this. I, I enjoy the National Treasure movies for what they are. John Turtle Taub did a nice job with these films. It's the last time, I, it was one of the last few times we've seen Nicholas Cage in like a, a straight kind of fi, uh, film and he was great in them. So you know what I mean by straight? You know, like not weird yeah. or wonky. Yeah, or, like not yeah. crazy. Nicholas Cage. Yeah, right. In fact, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty level, normal Nicholas Cage for for Nicholas Cage. But this going with a Latina lead, I think, is fantastic. Going with a dreamer, right, a DACA uh, person, I think, is incredibly gutsy by Disney and shows that they, no matter what the noise is outside, they understand the people coming to see their uh, product, people coming to see their movies, people to see their shows are people who believe in creating space and creating paths for people who want to become citizens of the country to become citizens of the country and i like this idea that we're exploring american history through someone who is the son or the daughter of immigrants or an immigrant herself and exploring how to embrace american history my own experience is like that my parents who love this country as immigrants
1: i love that experience is now going to be on a disney plus series what do you guys think I mean, turtle. Like, I I, I like the National tre- Treasure movies and that they are treasure hunting movies. I yeah. don't love I don't love the filmmaking. I don't think John Turtletop is the strongest director. Um, I I'm excited to see a a treasure hunting series like mm. that. You know, this this we're going to go on a ten episode journey to find this thing. I mm. I love that type of stuff, and I like that they're like I know the Whibberleys are are writing the script and they are the writers from the first two films. Um, I like that That hopefully we're getting a different director, that we're getting a, uh, a, a different take on that material because I did like the actual treasure hunting aspect. I just, mm. some of Turtle Top's uh, isms, I'm just not, I'm not the biggest fan of. So I'm yeah. certainly excited to see what a national treasure TV show looks like. Um, and they're saying that they're still developing national treasure three. Yes. I, I feel like the bloom has kind of fallen off the Nicholas cage rose at this point, but, but gotcha. either way, I I'm excited to see what this television series looks like.
2: Yeah. Mike, you've got a Latina lead and you've got an Indian director, an Indian uh, yeah. director coming in a Marinara. What do you think about this combination?
3: I think it's great. I uh, I think we've talked about this before. National Treasure is not something I particularly care about one way or the other. Uh, but this makes me way more interested in watching it because it sounds like it's actually going to be about something. I think mm-hmm. that taking I think that as we sort of explore uh, The way that we view the world today and we know that, you know, we talk, we talk about it all the time. Like we're in a very divided country. There's lots of opinions on what it means to be patriotic. There's lots of opinions on what it means to be an American. And I think that using something like national treasure, which the device of national treasure is let's use American history to tell a treasure hunting movie.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, And so on the one hand, having sort of what it sounds like, something that is kind of a modern day Goonies kind of vibe, a bunch of like diverse kids thrown together to like hunt down treasure, like Goonies is my favorite movie of all time, so bring it on. But to also use the fact that they're going to explore American history, don't make that face. You are, your dislike of Goonies,
2: your dislike
3: of, okay, not, okay. Diverse, diverse was maybe an overshot yeah, on Goonies. I'll give you that one. There is an action <laughs> okay.
2: character. I give you that. fair thing. enough. Fair <laughs>
3: enough. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I do think that, like, using using that as a device to have these kids kind of come in and, like, as they are exploring and unlocking this treasure and unlocking these pieces of American history, having a different viewpoint on it, having a different context, make, makes it more than just Disney Plus trying to take something in their vault and get it out there on the channel. It means yeah. that they are, you know, in keeping with a lot of what they're doing, uh, you know, some of the choices they made on High School Musical, The Musical, The Series, uh, Diary of an American President. Like, if you watch, the original stuff they're doing like they are doing stuff that fits the disney mold uh that is very family friendly but also has a little bit more to it as far as diversity and what it's saying about our
2: country and our future which i think is really great yeah yeah yeah. agreed agreed listen let me tell you something um some people may not want to believe this but Immigrants love this country maybe as much as people who've been born in this country because of what this country can represent. So I like that they're going to explore this and, and, and do it. And also I like that they've cast a Latina lead. You know, a Latino male lead could have been an easier shot. A Latina female lead, I think, is an even better situation here. Not a Latina, not a lot of Latina female leads in shows. Period. So the fact that they're getting involved, I hope they bring in Latin writers. I hope they bring in uh, writers with an immigrant experience. The Wimberleys, I don't think, have that. So I hope they bring in people like that to kind of advise <laughs> them and and show them the path because it isn't just the casting. You also have to do it behind the camera. You also have to do it in the writers' room so that you're not writing standard typical stuff just inserting a latino playing out a same role that you've seen white people play over and over again so i hope that they are uh, uh, you know exploring the experience more and having people like that in their writers room maybe i should brush up my resume all right anyway what's uh what's uh, what's our next thing uh, and we'll get we'll have updates on it as it goes along once it gets a premiere date and a trailer no doubt oh and speaking of trailers
1: Trailers, trailers, trailers. So we have three, three new trailers this week for three very different projects. The first one is uh, going to be on Amazon Prime, and it is called Them. It is from writer Lena Waithe, and who also she wrote on The Shy. She's also she's also an actor. Uh, she was on the Aziz Ansari show. She, you know, she was in Ready Player One. Um, so yeah, this trailer, Them. It is it. What we get from the trailer is that, I believe it takes place in the 50s or the 60s, and a a black family moves in to a primarily white neighborhood And the fallout from that move. And it looks like we also get sort of a supernatural vibe as well. Now, I can tell you, I auditioned for this show last year. So I'm reticent to say anything else because, you know, you sign a little NDAs and you're not going to talk about it. But since it's coming out in about a month, I'm like, I can say that I auditioned. I'm just not going to say what happened. Um, Mm -hmm. I I read the first couple scripts. And, uh, yeah, it's scary. So (laughs) I will let you guys take this one from here.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Mike, what did you think? Uh, I thought it looked really, really cool, really interesting. I know that there's been a lot of buzz online since Amazon dropped this trailer. Kind of people saying it looks like a Jordan Peele ripoff. It looks like a ripoff of Us and Get Out. I look at it a little bit differently. I think it's less a ripoff and more that Jordan Peele uh, combined with Lovecraft Country on HBO that there's sort of this new genre of horror uh, Mm. that I guess like I I would call it like black horror like black history horror like i'm not quite sure how i would phrase it but this idea that we're taking the horror genre like jordan peele obviously started this with get out but like taking the horror genre and marrying the real life horrors of racism with supernatural horror in get out in us in lovecraft country and lovecraft country and now with this and i think it's just really interesting it's a it's a really um Effective, clearly, because everything I just mentioned are are things that I really enjoyed, but like a really effective way for us to reframe the story we've had a lot of stories throughout television and film that kind of deal with racism uh with the with with integration segregation with the great migration which is what them is about and we've had a lot of stories that deal with that but this deals with it in such a specific way that you really up the scares up the horror and kind of like in adding that supernatural otherworldly element Rather than that making the actual racism feel less scary, it's sort of like the actual racism is always worse and way scarier than the ghost is. Uh, And so like watching this, it definitely reminded me of those things, but not in a, oh, this is just the same thing, but more in a, wow, this is like now a thing. This is it's a genre in and of itself, and it's a genre that I really am intrigued by and interested in.
2: That's a great point. I think it's black social commentary horror. That's what it seems to me when I'm looking at it, Mike. And sure, there's probably a better term someone has come up with already, but I don't know it yet. But yeah, that seems completely correct. And by the way, for those of you who are horror fans... This is very much in the history of horror, in the foundation of horror. Night of the Living Dead, the 1968 original, George Romero is making a comment about racism in our country. That is actually a commentary about... And there's been a lot of social commentary and horror throughout. Yes, there have been slashers and, you know... Half-naked women and all of that. Sure, there's been that exploitive kind of stuff. But there's also been horror that has really spoken about uh, the real life horror that occurs to people in this country who are disenfranchised, who are marginalized, who are threatened, whose very daily lives are or whose very lives are threatened daily by the overall majority. And so I loved this trailer. I, I'll say this: people might get mad. I like this trailer already more than I liked us. And I liked us, but this feels like next level and right in your face and us was about more like switching this under you know this other world existing at the same time this is full-on about what it's like for that to move into a white neighborhood and deal with this kind of race and it's so blatant that it's uh it's it's i actually respect the fact that it's blatant because most of times racism is in between the lines and the uh, you know uh, spoken about under your breath so that you see who else feels the same way so that you all can band together and go after this so the fact that they're going and the fact that the family's pushing back and fighting and not like cowering in fear I love that so it excited me. To see where we can go with this and what they're really exploring here. Cause also there's a supernatural aspect about this, mm-hmm. seeing the young girl getting yanked through the closet. What's that all about? So this looks great. And you're right to bring a mic, like, the the HB Lovecraft, the, uh oh sorry, Lovecraft Country that we saw on HBO, very reminiscent of this as well. I and also just to be uh in reading up on
3: it, so the mm-hmm. this is an anthology series, so it's not going to follow the same story in the next mm-hmm. season. Like this season. Is about these characters yep. in the great in the Great Migration, this black family moving into a white neighborhood. But uh, the next season could be about something. Will be about something ostensibly completely different. So yeah. much more in uh, the American horror story vibe which yeah. I think will be really interesting like you know as opposed to kind of like a black mirror kind of thing where you kind of have to tell your whole story in one episode and move on like having an entire season to tell this kind of horror story that relates to the black experience mm-hmm. and then moving into the next season and telling something in a di- di- completely different era completely different vibe I'm interested like I think it's super cool so I'm down uh, and can't wait to check it out
1: yeah similar <laughs> to what American horror story does each each season yep. is is a is a different story yep. um, so yeah the next is the second trailer for what Vogel affectionately calls X-Men in the Victorian era, uh, <laughs> the Never. <laughs> so yeah. this trailer, you know, we know it's coming. Uh, Joss Whedon is the original, well, he is the creator, but then Jane Espenson took over for him when he uh, when he stepped away. Um, this trailer, again, this is all like this is this is my sweet spot. This this mm-hmm. is this is late 1800s in England. Uh, we got a little bit of magic. We got some steampunk. Everything about this, again, scratches me where I itch. I don't care that it's that it's X-Men in the Victorian era. It looks awesome. Guys, what did you think? Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was great real
2: quick. I'll just say I loved it, enjoyed it. I'm totally in. Uh, I want to see what Norton's role in this is. I, we got to see more with James Norton there playing kind of like the evil character of it. Yeah. Uh, and I interviewed him on the L.O. Nation. If you want to watch the Deep Cut interview I did with him, he was halfway through shooting when we had the conversation. And he spoke a little bit about his experiences on set and creating the character he's creating here so if you want some update on that go and watch that interview but yeah overall i love this i'm excited for this i'm into this some of the british people i've watched on my girlfriend shows are all over this so i will be so i'll have like a little bit of a shorthand knowledge of these people so this looks badass mike what do you think i mean i think it looks like the
3: x-men of the victorian era <laughs> but i don't but i don't think that's necessarily a horrible thing i mean right. i think that uh <laughs> okay i think that it it, like, it looks cool. Like, I, 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 my, I, it is funny because when I watched the trailer, my first thought was, and I swear to you, my first thought was, well, Shannon is eating this shit up. <laughs> like, it is it is the most Shannon McClung trailer that has yeah. ever trailered. Like, it, it is so clearly up your alley. It's hilarious. But yeah, I mean, look, I think that the whole concept of um, powered beings being a stand well i mean johnny was just saying it you know like even like night of the living dead is zombies and it's yeah. having a and it's a commentary on race acceptance all of these things uh x men from day 1 was about right. uh racism and you know lead and, and, and ho- or homophobia or yeah. any kind of otherness uh and we definitely live in an era right now where uh otherness is a big topic of conversation you know whether yeah. that be through race, uh, through the trans community, through the LGBTQ community, through immigrants, through whatever. So I think that, uh, you know, having a fun, flashy, gorgeous looking show that's set in a completely separate era uh, that's dealing with a lot of the same things, uh, again, kind of like to what we were saying about the National Treasure thing, it's like, it's it has the opportunity to be really really fun and a lot of eye candy and really a cool uh, exciting geeky story that also could hopefully uh, say something. You know I think uh, you know one of the things that's clearly a thread of our geek news today is everything we're talking about is as we as I think back to. Uh, The conversations that we had in our WandaVision reviews about WandaVision, Mm -hmm. as I think to uh, our Falcon and Winter Soldier review and everything that we uh, were seeing in that first episode that we hope carries through, uh, you know, it's just really clear that uh, popular culture... And geek culture, particularly, and the things that are coming out are really struggling, not struggling in a bad way, but really trying to deal with a lot of the things that we're dealing with in real life right now and tell Mm -hmm. stories that reflect that. Because I think that just a fun, wow, that's cool ride is nice, but I think that everybody needs and wants a little bit more, Uh, you Mm -hmm. know, whether that be Watchmen, whether that be any of the things I just named. Uh, So hopefully the Nevers goes down that road.
1: Yeah, and The Nevers will be uh, April 11th on HBO Max. Them is April 9th on on Amazon Prime. And our last trailer, I think, (laughs) because it comes out next Wednesday on HBO Max and in theaters... Is Godzilla versus Kong? So this trailer in particular, this is the Chinese trailer. So uh, uh, you know, if if you want to go on and watch it, I'm sure you can just go on to uh, YouTube and 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 search Godzilla versus Kong Chinese trailer. It's a lot of the same material that we've seen before. A couple of new shots, but the most incredible shot, which you know we basically had confirmation already, but we got some, we got a we got a decent close up look at Mecha godzilla we get to see we get to see his electronic eye we get to see his destruction inducing metal foot um i'm so glad that again movie theaters are starting to open back up because i was i was looking forward to this on hbo max i am 100 going to go see this in a theater socially distanced right now actually the social distance guidelines that amc has I, I would do this for movies all the time because literally the seats all around me, no one's allowed to be in it. And that, <laughs> as as these gentlemen know, I'm I'm just a, I'm just a hobbit in his hobbit hole. I'm I'm good in my I'm good in my little hovel by myself. But gentlemen, what did we think of that first close up look of Mecha Mechagodzilla? Mikey.
3: Well, first of all, everything I just said about all of our geek culture having strong social commentary <laughs> does not apply to this trailer. I right. I don't know. I don't I don't know how much this movie is gonna have to say about the world that we live in today. But but I am with Shannon that I do wanna go see this on the big screen because wow, it's gonna be a lot to look at. Uh yeah, it you know, like like we said, like we were discussing like what trailers to include in the trailer park and, and Shannon was like, Oh, should we do the Godzilla? Uh King Kong like Chinese trailer. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've already talked about it. And then I watched the trailer and I'm like, oh, Mega Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about this. <laughs> uh it looks cool. Uh, you know, I think in addition to that final shot, we did get some uh, you know, King Kong kind of standing on some weird stuff with some floating rocks and King Kong and the Arctic being like carried around. And I thought that uh, you know, it it looks beautiful. Mm. Like, it looks like the, the reason you're going to this movie is to see two giant CG marvels of special effects duke it out with each other. Uh, and given a lot of the conjecture about who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, getting a little bit of uh, that Mecha Godzilla in the end there kind of confirms that uh, somebody is probably controlling somebody. And at the end, these two are going to clasp hands like they're in commando and team up to uh, take down the real bad guy. So again, I don't, the thing about these Godzilla movies, and I include Kong Skull Island, like like all the movies leading up to this, the Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, the King of the Monsters is none of them, I don't think any of them have been overwhelmingly impressive on their own. And yet I still have a soft spot for all of them and go into this one with all the
2: goodwill and very low expectations. There we go. (laughs) Welcome to my life as a Transformers film fan. <laughs> uh, this is—I I agree with you a thousand percent. Mike, I think I said it on our after our first review that they're eventually going to come together like BVS against the bigger baddie, and it looks very clearly like that's what's going to happen here with Mechagodzilla. Sir Charles Dance coming back certainly—we saw that at the end of Godzilla: King of Monsters—that he was he had a, a portion of Godzilla was going to branch that out. So clearly, that's what's happening. And it's going to be a lot of fun. The gra- the the visuals of this movie look incredible, and it's already been released to some critics. Sadly, I wasn't in that group. That got it early, but I'm still trying to get it uh, linked to it. And they were raving about it, almost to a person raving about how good this is. So if Godzilla walked, uh, uh, Kong Skull Island crawled, and Godzilla King of Monsters limped so that this could run, I think it was worth it. Wow. I think it was all... Effing worth it. <laughs> so, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's exciting. See Mecca is looks great. And, and for those of us that grew up on these movies, watching these movies on Saturday afternoons, when there was only four channels on the television, this is great to see them finally fulfill possibly the promise of what these movies were supposed to be about for the modern time for the modern generation to enjoy. So I hope uh, they nail it. I hope they knock it out of the park. Even if I get a link for it, I'm still, I think, in your boats, uh, gentlemen. I'm going to go try and see this in a theater. If it's an IMAX, maybe an IMAX theater, uh, it would be fun to see it in that
1: uh, version as well. Well, it's a
2: good thing I'm on your AMC
1: entourage, Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one you would drive up to Los Angeles for, Johnny?
2: Oh, I think that's very, very possible. If there's, a,
1: <laughs> if there's
2: an IMAX screening of it, hell yeah, we could make it a night. Get some dinner and maybe do do an impromptu geek buddies. A review of it for like 15 minutes and put it up on the channel. That could be fun as well. So I don't know. I'm down. I'm totally down. I'm all down. right.
1: Next That's- Wednesday, March 31st on HBO Max and in theaters. Here we go. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's take a quick break. That's all our geek news item. Uh, just to throw one
2: more thing I forgot to mention when we started off a Falcon and Winter Soldier, the news that it bro, it uh, it had more viewers than wandavision uh and did, and I think more viewers than Justice League. I think and uh, pretty incredible for that first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. So if you haven't watched our review, it's out there for you to watch our spoiler review with Mike Kalinowski, and we'll definitely be reviewing episode two this weekend as well. So bodes well for the Disney+, bodes well for the MCU overall. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back uh, right after this with our main topic, getting into that Ann Sarnoff interview about the future of DC that's good i like that that's good that's wow. the best especially when he's done in a while mike i would think oh. uh oh i mean i know nothing uh, yeah. i'm
1: Unnecessary. i mean, if you come for john turtletop i'm gonna come for you let's just put that out there right now <laughs> hold well, on no. let, me, let me hum that really recognizable john turtletop theme all right He's not a composer. Uh,
2: Anyway, all right, let's get into all things DC here for the latter half of our show, our main topic. Uh, uh, Variety posted this interview with Warner Media Studios CEO Ann Sarnoff. She talked about the release of Zack Snyder's Just League. She talked about the reactions to it. She she addressed the air cut in a very succinct one-line response. She addressed the future of DC overall. And she was very clear that they appreciated that people liked uh, 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 Jack Snyder's Justice League and enjoyed it to the way they did. But they are moving on. They are not going back to that. They are not touching with that. They she went after some of the toxic fans, uh, which is ironic considering some of the behind the scenes stuff with them. Uh, She went after and she made it very clear that they are moving on and focusing on Blue Beetle, focusing on the new Flash movie, uh, starring Ezra Miller, focusing on all these things and moving past it. It was very clear there's going to be no air cut. Michael, as I said earlier, you have been in the hall, these executive halls. How do you read between the lines of what Ann Sarnoff is saying here?
3: I think uh, I was texting with some other friends who are executives uh, about it, and yeah. I think that... Um, it it was a whole lot of not saying a lot.
2: Oh, interesting. I, okay. I think
3: that I think that there was a there was a lot that was said and there was a lot of really good buzzwords used, and it was uh and it all kind of summed up to eh. Uh, you know, I mean I think if you really break it down into buckets, like you guys said, so a couple of things that were really clear, they are not moving forward with the Snyderverse. Like yeah. no matter how well Justice League did, their plans right now do not involve Zack Snyder doing the second two movies uh, in what he called his five movie trilogy. Mm-hmm. So that that is not going to be a part of things. The air cut ve- very clear that that is not a thing that they are that they are planning on going down the road on. Um, and also when it came to the controversy stuff, Ray Fisher, uh, Walter Hamada, mm-hmm. yeah. um, very quickly made the statement that she made and then moved off of it. Uh, you know, like they are, they are very clearly kind of say that the stance that they are taking is we did an investigation. There doesn't seem to be any racism. We let Ray Fisher's story be told in Zack Snyder's justice league. He got his day where he got to, he got to show the work he did. Other than that, we have nothing else to say on it. Walter Hamada didn't do anything bad and we are moving forward. I think they, they are trying as desperately as they can to kind of use uh, the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League to be like Ray Fisher got to shine in this movie. We bear him no ill will. Leave us alone. We're moving on from this. Please stop bringing it up. That that <laughs> that was kind of what I read between the lines on what they said about that. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, like what they talked about uh, as far as where DC was going, it's a It was a very long-winded way of saying we have a bunch of projects from a bunch of creators that we're excited about we don't really know how they tie together there's not one person or one vision but we've got a multiverse and isn't that great Mm. like that's kind of how it all came and the and the, the the plus and minus of that And there's been a lot of announcements in the past few days and we can touch on them the plus and minus of that is you're gonna have a lot of really cool and interesting different takes from a lot of big name writers and big name directors and big name producers. And some of those will probably be great. You'll have your jokers in there, Um, but some of them might not be so hot. And so, uh, you know, again, not saying they have to do what Marvel does, but the Marvel strategy sort of allows for, if you have an A plus movie and a B minus movie Mm -hmm. and an A movie and another A plus movie, the, the sum total raises all of them up. Uh, and when you don't have that, and when you have a very loose-sounding multiverse, uh, your, your, lesser, uh, inst- your lesser installments don't have that sort of halo. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what moves forward. But that was what I took from it. And yeah. like, that seems to be the general consensus, is there was a lot of, we've got a bunch of really big names and a very loose multiverse, and it doesn't really fit together. But watch what we can do.
2: We're excited. We hope. Fingers crossed. uh, Shannon, what did you think as you read these comments from Warner CEO and Sarnoff?
1: Uh, I thought it was interesting that Variety had said, like, Ray Fisher says he can't talk about what happened on set because of an NDA. And then they ask her, point blank, like, is there an NDA that would prohibit him from sharing what happened? And her answer was very telling. No, not that I know of. So Mm -hmm. she's able to squeeze through that door of saying, (laughs) not that I'm aware, even though I highly doubt that's that's real, but that well, is that is her way to squeeze out of answering that.
3: And they did they, and they did say in the article, uh, at least when I read it online, maybe they added it later, but that they had reached out to Ray Fisher's people and that they had said he is no longer under NDA yes. and will speak out when the time is right. So Interesting. they did add that addition in there. They did, and and I'll
2: and we'll read. I'll read some of Ray Fisher's tweets after uh, Shannon has finished with his comments on this. Please go ahead, Shane.
1: But yeah, I mean, I think the future of DC, a lot of it, a lot of their decisions are going to be predicated on the success of the product, mm-hmm. and and I think that's the difference. That's the difference right now between Marvel and DC is the uh, Marvel kind of has a license to print money, like having that Marvel logo show up at the beginning of a movie or a television series. Now, people are going to be invested, but early on. Marvel stuck to their guns. I mean, Captain America won, Thor won. those were not, they they were successful, but they were not huge hits. They weren't Iron Man. Like Mm -hmm. Iron Man was a, Iron Man was a blockbuster. Hulk was, was not. Mm -hmm. Um, And and maybe if uh, Ed Norton had not, you know, had not had the creative disagreements that he did, maybe he would have stuck with it. But the fact that Marvel's like, okay, these are our decisions, we're gonna keep going. DC is not that. I mean they they abandoned they abandoned the Snyderverse which you know you you can debate whether or not you think that was a good idea. Yeah. Um and thus far their newer movies are seem to be doing pretty well. I think Birds of Prey probably underperformed more than they wanted it to. Right. Um but it doesn't seem like they're kind of doubling down on the Birds of Prey universe despite the fact that they're going to be using Harley Quinn in the Suicide Squad reboot. Yeah. You know Suisqu- Suicide Squad that made a ton of money. But no one would argue the quality like like overwhelmingly that was it was not received warmly despite making almost a billion dollars. But they see the value in the property. So I think it's interesting because she sees the value in all this. And and I hope that if they decide to try to do some unification, which it doesn't seem like they're going to. If they decide to, hopefully they do get that one sort of creative voice who's steering the ship. If uh, the flash film that comes out, if it does indeed go the flashpoint route, which that's that's what it looks like, um, if it's a huge success, maybe they will be singing a different a different song. Maybe they will talk about bringing that universe together. Again. Yeah.
2: Go ahead, Mike. You were gonna say.
3: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say. So what the article does say, just to just to not to defend DC, but to just like get in front of the. Uh, what what people could say about that is they you know she does point to Jim Lee as sort of the 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 the, the comic book glue that holds it all together that in her estimation uh, when the when the article specifically asks do you have that one creative vision do you have that one direction and she says we have a lot of different creators we want to bring lots of voices to the table Jim Lee kind of is our expert who knows all comics obviously uh, knows all these characters so well and helps bring it together. Uh, but I would say to Shannon's point, uh, and as amazing as Jim Lee is, because I think he's one of the most talented, amazing artists uh, mm-hmm. and comic book personalities that's out there. Yep. Uh, you know, it, it is a it is a different kind of talent that it takes to wrangle uh, writers, directors, producers, talent, yep. and keep them all on board with one kind of vision, and to pl- and, and honestly to keep clear what's showing up and where. I mean, she talked a lot about, we're really excited about this multi-platform direction where we can have an Easter egg in this HBO Max series and we can have a reference to something that's coming up in theaters on a, in, in a gaming thing and whatever. And that sounds really, really great. Like that sounds super cool. That is hard. It is yeah. not easy to do. And when you don't have that one vision or that one person driving it, it's very easy for that to get lost.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, those are excellent points, uh, both of you just made, and and um, I echo some of them. I will say this: I felt kind of icky after I read this response. I mean, having worked in, having lived in this town for twenty, or I lived in essence. I still feel like I still live in L.A. for twenty years, and having spoken to people, executives, having heard the stuff that's not said publicly, uh, all of that behind the scenes stuff. This feels like Michael just said a lot of double speak. Or a lot of sorry, a lot of words and not really saying much except three basic points. We're not doing the Zack Snyder thing. We got all these other projects. Jim Lee's our guy. This is basically the three things that I take away from this. And there's a lot to kind of look at here. And I'm not gonna get too deep into this, but there's a lot to look at here because I felt really uncomfortable with the way she presented the Ray Fisher situation. We hired someone. They said everything was cool. We're good to go. We're moving on from it. And Ray Fisher sent out the, a five-tweet thread addressing the things that she brought up. The fact that she said, well, Walter Hamada's a, you know, person of color, so we're cool. Like, it kind of washes our hands from this. I thought it was... And then immediately, Jim Lee, another person of color, both Asian gentlemen, by the way. There's a lot to kind of dive into here. If you watch the Be Like Water uh, documentary on Bruce Lee, they spoke about how certain people speak about asians certain people in power how they want to find the good asians those kinds of things and i wonder if in some unconscious way she is falling into that same kind of trope uh, you know jay washington said this to me when he said not not all skin folk is kin folk and that's true within communities just because you have a person of color does not necessarily mean they're real attentive to people of color's needs necessarily so for her to kind of default into that it's a, it's kind of a little bit of a white walk you know and like oh look we've got a person of color we can't possibly be racist and that's not actually true so i think there's more here to explore more to see it and i it felt weird that she was like highlighting all these people of color the sasha kaye and all of that saying see we're moving forward we're doing this emerald fennel has been hired to be the writer of Zatanna, which is great this is all great news i just don't want it to be used to silence The possibly legitimate issues and concerns and experiences that an actor like Ray Fisher went through in his uh, in in the reshoots for Justice League. It's great that you're hiring women. It's great that you're hiring people of color, women of color. You know, Uh, it's great that you're hiring all of that. But by the same token, don't discount his thoughts. You know, and he had some tweets here. I'll read them real quick. He said, apparently some folks at Warner Media think that a room full of executives saying we, quote, can't have an angry black man at the center of our movie and then reducing, removing all black and people of color from that movie isn't racist. The investigator hired by WarnerMedia was brought on to help the company assess and evade legal liabilities, continually touting her status as a former federal judge. oh, sorry, former federal judge in an attempt to sway public opinion is obvious and desperate. She is now simply a lawyer. As I've said, people will attempt to shift blame completely to Joss Whedon for the Justice League reshoots. Toby Emmerich, Jeff Johns, and John Berg were in that sharing that responsibility. With Johns working directly with uh, with uh, Joss on restructuring the script based on the executives' conversations. Furthermore, quote: "There really was nothing that Walter did against Ray. In fact, he offered him a role in the Flash movie." And quote: "Walter happens to be a person of color, so he knows he, so he knows what that feels like." Are the absolute definition of tone depth. This is what Ray Fisher said. Final thought for now. Rather than trying to convince people on what the Just League investigation didn't find, how about you start telling them what they did find? The public is a lot smarter than what you're giving them credit for. The proof is there more soon. So certainly there's a little more to possibly be revealed here. And you know, to tout all this stuff and still have Ezra Miller, who is on video choking out a young woman that you still have not addressed at all, it seems a bit um, uh, talking out on two sides of your mouth, saying you respect and want people of color and respect women. And respect. and then by the other side, not addressing that Ezra Miller video at all, it seems to me a bit um, uncomfortable and kind of insulting the Snyderverse fans as well by just kind of saying, we gave you what you wanted. And, you know, those toxic fans are really terrible. And then moving forward, I think, is a bit dismissive as well. So I don't know. I didn't feel great about the interview. I get it. From a business point of view, what they're doing, I just didn't feel great about it overall.
3: I think you make some really good points. I think that just because you're doing something on one side that is progressive and good doesn't mean you didn't stumble on another side. Mm. And I think that that what we look for now are the people that are willing to admit Mm. where they stumbled. Yep. I, I think that I don't think that there's anything wrong. And look, I, I look, they're they're going to protect Walter Hamada like that. Whether he did yep. anything wrong or not, I wasn't in the room. I don't know. I right. can't say. Right. But even if you are of the opinion that he was part and parcel with Jeff Johns and Joss and whatever in in however Ray Fisher was mistreated. It's clear that Warner Brothers is circling those wagons. Um, but even if that was a decision that they were making, there is still a lot of room to set. I think to John's point, the part that made me feel a little weird is there is a there is a line that you can walk and still be Hollywood executive, protect your people. That is, it's clear that the way Ray... Uh, that Ray's experience on Justice League was not an experience that we want to continue to have with our talent. And I we appreciate that he highlighted these things. And as we move forward into this next era of DC entertainment, we are going to take his words to heart and make sure that everyone from our executives to our creators to our talent create an environment that is yada, yada. I mean, there's, there's a way that you can actually take some of this on. And the fact that they are kind of stonewalling the entire thing and saying... We had an investigation. We're good. is is kind of not the answer that I think anybody wants to hear from them. Yeah, what do so that's
2: you? yeah, agreed.
1: Mark. Yeah, I'm, you know, I mean, I, when when you have someone representing uh, a a gigantic corporation, um more often than not, they're not going to come out and say, "Hey, we made a mistake." Right. I mean, that's just that's just that's that's what companies do i mean they they want to they want to spin things to put themselves in the most positive light i mean she said you know we wanted Zach to have the opportunity to finish his vision in a way where you could see what it was this four out this four hour vision that we never would have been able to do, uh, in a, in a theater. Um, they, they didn't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a solution to, to a problem that, you know, it was, it, you know, the the Snyder cut had this groundswell of support from a group of very vocal fans and they had, a a kind of uh, stumbling launch of HBO max <laughs> that they didn't have this huge marquee property to open it up. Like, like Disney did, like they didn't have a Mandalorian. Like they had, they had some things that were HBO max exclusives, but a lot of them, it was just kind of like, ah, you know, I, I, this, this is not the thing that's going to put butts in the seats as it were. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we will ever get, I think the only person who will ever give, give us sort of the straight dope about what happened is Ray Fisher. And whether or not he chooses to do that, we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, and
2: to be fair, on the other side of this, and not to say that I'm only going to criticize, like Ray's got to come out at some point with some some details, some comments, because we're at that breaking point where now she has said publicly, and started off in this interview, there's no NDA that I know of. And then his representatives, as you point out, and Michael said, Ray Fisher's not under NDA, but he will reveal details when it's time. I think it's time. And I know and I know I, it's a black man's experience and I and and I totally respect that. But I think it's time to start talking. If you're going to get people to kind of really want to be part of this movement to turn this around and make it accountability over entertainment, you've got to start giving some details of what you experience so that people can connect to it, relate to it, feel the universal connection to it, having experienced possibly in their own lives. Sorry, Michael, what were you saying?
3: No, I think, you know, the the truth of it is it is probably true that like Ray Fisher is probably a hundred percent right that he was treated real shitty yep. by Joss and potentially by Jeff and Walter Hamada and his and as executives, we're just trying to get this justice league movie out the door. Uh, with Zack Snyder stepping off and Joss Whedon stepping in, and all the things that happened, and Cyborg's story got cut, and Ray right. Fisher was treated shitty because we pretty much have it confirmed now from multiple sources that Joss Whedon, on a bad day, treats people shitty. And it sounds like Ju- Justice League was a lot of bad days for Joss Whedon. So <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like everything Ray Fisher says probably has validity, but it also sounds like uh, there wasn't a smoking gun email or a you know like there wasn't a clear cut. We clearly made some decision, uh, so I think that Warner Brothers knows that they've got their butts covered as well. So I think that okay. we'll probably never actually really get to the bottom of what all of this was, and it's going to just fade into the background as we move forward to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, which is unfortunate. I do hope that for Ray Fisher, uh, who I thought had a really nice performance, uh, yeah. and once you got to see his full Cyborg story, like it served him really well, I hope that he comes out of this and doesn't just become um the actor who got really mad at warner brothers but goes on to do a bunch of other stuff because i think he's a good actor and deserves to so i hope that i hope that he comes out of this however it all the dust settles on it uh
2: doing more work that we can see him in yeah i agree with that a thousand percent um let's let's shift over a little bit to the michael keaton news all of a sudden he might not be in flashpoint did you guys see this quote did you see or his quotes that he deliver and saying, you know, I'm knee deep into working on this other thing that I'm really excited about, and I've looked at the script, but I, I don't want to bullshit you. Uh, you know, I, I haven't looked at the new draft, uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe may be part of it, it, may not be. I'm just really deep into this, and I and I let them know that I'm deep into this, so I don't. What the fuck are you talking about? Unless you're <laughs> making, unless you're making the next this generation Citizen Kane, there's no reason you shouldn't be turning backwards and going back and doing this. For so many of the fans who became who came to love you as Batman, go into a few days. I mean, I get that he's ca- scared about COVID. Is what so he said? He's living on a 17 acre farm, so he can keep his distance from people. He's gonna be in London, so I respect that he's an older gentleman. Maybe he's afraid he might catch this thing and it could kill him. Maybe he's got an underlying condition. But this, it seemed to me that he was stressing that he's really knee deep into this incredible project and couldn't possibly turn away from it to play Batman at this point. Is well. This- is this negotiation? Is this uh, you know him messing around with people's expectations?
1: What is he doing? It's it's certainly a possibility that this could be a little bit of negotiating in the press. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's certainly possible. At the same time, it might not be a couple of days. Like it might be a yeah. substantial role in this movie. And if if the rumors are true that they kind of view him as you know being sort of the the superhero steward. For this new generation of heroes, like for for DC going forward, you know, it 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 could be a big commitment. I mean, for a long time, Michael Keaton, he wasn't persona non-grata in Hollywood, but he certainly wasn't doing big movies. Like it, it was it wasn't until like the last, you know, four or five years that he had this 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 renaissance where suddenly after Birdman, like, everybody wanted him and like he got yeah. to be in some really really incredible projects from from sort of you know esteem films like spotlight to really fun stuff like spider-man homecoming so i do think there's validity to the argument of like guys what is the commitment we're talking about here <laughs> because I'll, I'll i'll give you this much i can't give you this much but i also yeah. do think it's possible some some negotiating in the press
2: yeah mike if you're a person who's been on this side of things like when you hear an actor say this, what's your thoughts when you read these quotes? I mean, the other thing you guys didn't say is it could have been a shitty script. <laughs>
3: That's possible. I mean, like, like it's like he's sitting here and he's like, oh, yeah, I got this stuff and I'm doing the thing. And I looked at the last draft. I haven't looked at this draft. Like, he might have looked at the script and been like, is this really what you want me to do? Like, is this, is this, what is this? And so I, is- I think that, and, and look, I think there's also, Shannon was saying earlier, you know, that Marvel kind of has a license to print money and it's true like Marvel's had a level of success that like Marvel says Marvel says we're going to do a movie and it's going to be half animated like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and we'll all be like, oh, cool. See how that goes. Uh, You know, like it doesn't like they they could do so many different things now and they've earned the right to do that. That's all. That's not just true of fans. That's true of celebrities and talent as well. Like, they've also reached a point that Kevin Feige calls you into the office, you're an actor, and and says, hey, we're thinking of doing this thing, we want you to be in the next eight movies. And you're like, I don't know. But then you're like, ah, it's Marvel, man. You want me to be in eight movies? Like, people who have been in eight Marvel movies, this is a pretty good track record. So, you know, I, I think that they have that, and I think that DC does not, and it doesn't mean that DC's not attracting talent. Like, look at their announcements. Like, they're definitely getting the talent in there, but that Mm -hmm. could definitely be a part of it as well. I think what's going to be really interesting, and the Michael Keaton role speaks to this specifically, is that as DC and Marvel are always competing with each other and we're always judging what DC does against what Marvel does or what Marvel does against DC. Oh, you know, Marvel would never do a movie like Joker. That's what I want DC to do more of. Or Infinity War was so perfect, DC can't get there. Like, we, we do it on both sides. And there's yep. good... And to be clear, DC has had some wins in ways that Marvel hasn't as well. Yeah. Like, there's, they've both done some really interesting things. Yeah. Um, they're about to both embrace the multiverse. And Sarnoff mentioned the multiverse multiple times in this article. We know the multiverse of madness is coming. We've heard the rumors about Spider-Man 3. Uh, How they use the multiverse is going to be another big make-or-break moment for both of them because opening up the universe to say, oh, well, now we can do whatever in TVs and movies and have all these different casts and multiple Supermen because it's the multiverse versus Marvel probably having a much more specific and streamlined plan for their multiverse, like that can either work or not work in a major way. And I think that uh, when I read Michael Keaton's remarks, that was my go-to thing. I was like, oh, he's probably like, this seems kind of messy, I don't know. <laughs> it it could also be a commitment level. Like if they really do want him to be that Nick Fury role, like if you're gonna come in and be Batman in the DC universe in your later years, like that's, that's probably a pretty significant time investment. Like- But also, it's a pretty significant investment in your creative energy and talent, and unless you're really excited about doing that, you're probably gonna look at that with some trepidation.
2: That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I guess I creates space for Mr. Keaton to, you know, kind of make his decisions based on the script. I didn't think about the script being bad. I just assumed they wouldn't mess up a script like that, but maybe they have. You might what? Like what in the past five years has led you to believe such a thing? <laughs> I just want to, I'm an eternal <laughs> optimist. People may not believe this, but I am an eternal optimist. Um, uh, one last thing. I mentioned it earlier. How excited are you for Emerald Fennell coming in as a writer for Zatanna? I'm surprised they didn't announce her as a director. She's just writing it. And not just as if that's some kind of lower thing, but it would be great to see her after promising a woman the Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. I mean, she showrun Killing Eve season two. She's been in the crowd as Cam- Camilla Parker Bowles. This is a young woman with an incredible amount of talent and energy. Uh, writing is great, but are you excited about this? And would you want her to direct it as well?
1: I mean, after watching Promising Young Woman, like I, 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 I only watched the first season of Killing Eve, but after watching Promising Young Woman, I think the, the Zatanna film has, it, it's a lot more interesting right now because mm-hmm. Promising Young Woman was a great film. Um, also, maybe she doesn't want to, maybe she doesn't want to direct it. Yeah. I mean, maybe directing uh, yeah. a big superhero film is, is not her jam or at yeah. least not her jam as of yet. But yeah, at this point. Right. Having, right. having her write it though, I mean, that, that certainly adds a level of interest to it.
3: Yeah, also, I mean, kind of the same thing we were saying, like, uh, writing something is a time investment. Directing something is a much longer time investment, and she's pretty hot right now. She's probably got a lot of offers. Uh, And so maybe she just wanted to write, maybe DC just wanted her to write, maybe DC wanted her to do both, and she couldn't, or vice versa. So I think there's a lot of options, but I think, yeah, to Shannon's point, having her attached on any level... Uh, makes me think that the Zatanna script is going to be way more interesting than I thought it was going to be before I read that news. Okay, like it's you know, and again, kind of the through line of what we've been talking about the whole episode is because this is a this is a creative talent who clearly has things she wants to talk about, and whether that is done through Promising Young Woman or Killing Eve or Zatanna, uh, we're definitely going to get um, a lot of commentary about uh, what it's like to be a woman today yeah.
2: in our world. Yeah. Yeah. I think if it's a man writing it, there's, you know, she's, I don't know. I just don't think it would embrace the intricacies necessarily of what you might get from a character. You could default to the fact that she's beautiful, default to the fact she's young, she's got a sexy costume. You could default to all of that. Whereas I think someone like Emerald Fennel coming on will really explore all the levels and complexities of a character like this and being a woman in this universe and what have you. So, yeah, definitely. One last thing, uh, for Helen Mirren uh, as the villain in Shazam, this is great. You know, we talk about Michael Keaton coming back. Here's Helen Mirren coming into a situation. She's been in the Fast and the Furious movies, so she ain't got no problem being in the franchise films. Are we excited about her coming in as the
1: villain for Shazam too? I think anytime you add someone uh, of Helen Mirren's uh, status to yeah. a superhero sequel, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's cool. It's cool. Like, it, and again, like I don't think every Helen Mirren movie has been awesome, but I think, I think uh, a performer of that level goes in because they're like, hey, this is going to be fun. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a good time here. What's really interesting is she's. Playing a character who does not have a DC Comics uh, counterpart, uh, Hespera. Huh. That's not that the, oh the that's not a that that's that's actually from mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's I think the they're the the daughters of Atlas are called the uh, Hesper- Hesperides, I think. Mm-hmm. And depending on the myth, they they uh, they span and how many of them there are. But you yeah. know that Helen Mirren is playing one. Um, Rachel is it Ziegler from West Side Story? Who's oh, playing her? Yeah. Maria, she's playing. I I think they said another daughter uh, of of Atlas. So, from the stuff that I read, the lowest number is four. So, maybe there's two other cool announcements coming. But yeah, I mean, Helen Mirren and a Helen Mirren against Zach Levi, bring it. Awesome. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Like, look, Shannon's right. Uh, Not every Helen Mirren movie is great, but Helen Mirren is great in every movie she's in. That's a good point. Helen Mirren could walk out on to the screen in Shazam 2, sit down in an easy chair and read the phone book while Zach Levi flies around and I'll still think she's amazing in it. So I'm down. Like I'm like, yeah, bring it on. I I would watch her do
2: literally anything. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. I think it classes up the joint to have Helen Mirren involved in this situation. <laughs> absolutely. And she can play that tongue in cheek comedy because in yeah. Fast and Furious, she has played tongue in cheek kind of moments uh, in amidst this franchise situation and not lower the stakes. So I think she's definitely – She obviously, she's incredibly gifted – talented actress who's worked for decades in this business so putting her into a situation this is going to be yet another opportunity for us to thoroughly enjoy Helen Mirren in a part like this so I can't wait to see what the results are going to be there's there's a very
1: funny meme that someone created that's oh yeah who who could have thought for a Shazam sequel we were going to get this and it's Helen Mirren kind of looking you know very very strong very very smoldery versus this and it's a shot of all the Shazam kids looking (laughs) at the camera (laughs) That's a
2: great point. It's a great point. <laughs> uh, all right, let's wrap it up there for this episode of The Geek Buddies. Appreciate you all downloading this on the podcast feed or watching us here on the Outlaw Nation channel. Uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell?
1: Yeah, you would like to follow us on social media. On Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media. On Twitter, it's Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roka, it is at the Roka Says. Mikey?
3: Uh, If you have enjoyed this walk through the week of geek, uh, (laughs) we would love for you to continue with us. Uh, Here's a couple (laughs) things that you can do to make sure that we keep doing what we are doing. Uh, You can like this post, obviously, uh, right over there, I believe. Uh, You can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw page, which is right over there, I believe. Uh, There's lots of really awesome content that you can check out there, uh, including a lot more content with us and uh, our extended family of geek buddies, whether that be Laura for Star Wars or Emma and Kalinowski on our Marvel shows. There's tons of reviews for you to check out in addition to our weekly show. Uh, And then uh, definitely some comments. We love to check out what you guys think. What are you excited about? What do you think of these trailers? What do you think of Mechagodzilla? What do you think of Helen Mirren? Uh, If you don't like Helen Mirren, don't leave a comment because I will come after you. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, the other thing that you can do, uh, the best thing is to share this video. So retweet it, post it on Facebook, send it to your friends who are into geek stuff, bring more people into the conversation. If you are listening to us right now and not looking at our smiling faces on a podcast, definitely take a minute out to leave us some stars uh leave a little comment it helps us go up in the rankings so as people search for geeky stuff uh they can find us and tune in this weekend for our second spoiler filled review of the second episode of falcon and winter soldier with our very good geek buddy mike kalinowski i love
2: it i love the week of geek this is interesting i might have an idea for that all right (laughs) thanks everybody for watching us here uh we'll see you next time on the geek
1: buddies Hey!